you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. All right, Buck. Well, we love our big guys, and this is a big guy episode here on our Move the Sticks prototype series. Looking at the offensive line, and man, we've got some great guests lined up to discuss the big uglies. Yeah, the big ugly. You talk about big man dance contest. That's what we call it down at the line of scrimmage. But we're going to have some great experts to talk about it. Sean O'Hara, who has won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. We're going to also talk to Paul Alexander. And then Howard Mudd coming on to join and give us a little expertise on the offensive line. Yeah, to two outstanding coaches that have, uh, have coached a lot of great players and have a great idea of what makes an offensive lineman that can be successful in today's NFL. I think you're going to enjoy those conversations. And O'Hara is always a lot of fun uh, when we chat with him. Now, remember, if you're just checking us out here on this episode, you can find the quarterback episode, a running back episode, and a wide receiver episode uh, that's already available. You can go listen to those uh, right now. And then we're going to have some more coming your way. You're going to get to the defensive side of the ball uh, with some more episodes here shortly in our prototype series. Uh, Buck, when we look at the offensive line position, and we're just kind of grouping it together right now, uh, inside guys, outside guys, but just at the core, 
for any offensive lineman, uh, what are two or three attributes that you believe you you got to have when we're trying to find these guys? First thing that I look for, I'm looking at their feet. So I need to see balance and body control. I want to see if they're nimble, if they're light, if they're guys that can change and redirect. Uh, how much quickness do they display when they have to move laterally to their right and to their left? Secondly, I want to see... What are their hands like? Are these guys strong with their hands? Can they latch on, lock on, ride you out? And then finally, some of this speaks to their attitude and demeanor. I want to see them finish. I need an offensive line composed of nasty guys, guys that kind of take it from snap to the whistle and maybe even a little beyond the whistle. I want to make sure that we have a physical running, running game. And so the offensive linemen that I prefer are the ones that have a little nasty in their game. Yeah, ideally you want everybody that can do everything, right? Uh, but you... It's tough, tough to get those type of guys. Uh, they're very few. But to me, I look at a couple different things. First of all, it's a passing league. Um, and I do this for every position. You know, we're talking about scouting and, and going through that process. Uh, for me, almost, uh, hopefully they, they are this way. If you ever read my, my reports and my write-ups on the, to my top 50 every year, I will start whether it's an offensive lineman, uh, you know, a, a running back. Um, maybe running back might be the one exception. But let me just boil it down. You start with the passing game. Uh, <laughs> defensive lineman, I want to – Get to the point. How does he rush the passer? After that, we'll get how he does against the run. Offensive lineman, how does he do in pass protection? Then we can get to what he does uh, in the running game because uh, you've got guys that can't slide, can't redirect, and can't pass protect. I don't care if you're playing outside or inside. They're going to isolate you, and you're going to get exposed, and you're not going to be able to stay on the field. So you got to be able to pass protect. Toughness is uh, toughness, and I'll put intelligence, instincts, combining that all together. If I get somebody that can pass protect and I get some toughness, I can work on some technique things run-wise. You can clean that up. Uh, and improve. Um, but man, if you can't pass protect, Buck, you can't play. No, you don't have a chance because it's all about the quarterback. The franchise quarterback is, is making north of $30 million. You better believe that some of the old linemen that you bring in, they need to be able to keep him upright and safe and secure in the pocket. So yes, the passing game takes precedence, but you have a small handful of folks that still believe the running game is the best way to sustain your success. The teams that go to the playoffs are the teams that still run more than others. Yeah, well, we're going to get into all of it and the evaluation of the position. And let's get to our interviews here because we've got a couple great ones coming up uh, with Howard Mudd and Paul Alexander, two legendary coaches. But we're going to start things off uh, with somebody who played the position up front at a very high level. He's a pro bowler. He's a Super Bowl winner. And sure, he's a friend. The New York Giants have knocked off the New England Patriots 17-14 as Tom Coughlin gets a Gatorade bath. And the Giants, with the most improbable win in recent memory, have won Super Bowl 42. All right, excited to be joined by our buddy, uh, Sean O'Hara. And, and Sean, we're looking at offensive linemen and, and really trying to identify prototypes at the position right now. But I, I want to ask you, first of all, just uh, what you think the, uh, the makeup is like for an elite offensive line. We'll get to what they do on the field, but what type of a makeup are you looking for at, at that position? Yeah, I know when everybody talks offensive line play, they talk about the chemistry and, and, and does an offensive line gel. You know, you've heard all the cliches about you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, I, I think chemistry is a huge factor when you're assembling an offensive line as a, as a unit. But as an individual, I think you've got to have a little bit of nastiness in you. You know, you could be a nice guy off the field, but at some point in time, when I turn on the film and when I'm watching a kid, I want to see him finish somebody. If you're not pile-driving somebody in the ground – at any point in time in a game, in college, then you're sure as heck not going to do it in the NFL. So that's kind of one thing that I, that I like to look at when I'm watching guys. But back from when I, when I was playing, the one thing that assured you 
a quick trip out the door or a seat on the bench was if you didn't know what you were doing. So I think offensive linemen, and I'm not just saying this because I was one of them, but you guys have been around them a lot. You really have to be one of the smartest guys in the huddle because you don't get a playoff. You have to know what everybody to your right and your left are doing. You can't just stay in your lane and have tunnel vision. You've got to also be able to understand and read defenses and anticipate what they're doing. So it's not just about pure athleticism. You've got to have great technique, but you've got to have the ability to absorb what's this defense doing, what are the tendencies. I've seen this front before. Um, I always felt like as a center, my wits would kind of make up for any physical attributes that I was lacking in. But I also felt like the more I knew and the more I knew how my quarterback was seeing things, the better that would make me as a center and relaying some of the calls. You know, so the center position, obviously, the pivot, you guys are kind of the, the main communicators when it comes to the offensive line. Everyone, when they think about offensive line, they always start outside, though, with the tackles. What do you look for in offensive tackles? And is there really a major difference between left tackle and right tackle based on the way the game is trending? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting because – when I look at, at the further away from the ball you get, the more athletic I feel like you had to be. So tackles, certainly you've got to be more athletic. Guards, you know, can be kind of in between. Uh, center, any, anybody could play center. <laughs> uh, you don't even have to be a great athlete. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I think tackles, the, the couple factors that I, that I look at, and, and the best tackles to play the game, obviously a great feet. I mean, you're not going to be a tackle in the NFL if you can't move your feet and if you can't change direction. But I think they always had great punch. And I know a lot of people at the combine, we get enamored with how long are their arms. You know, what's the wingspan? And that's great. Having long arms is great as a tackle. But if you don't punch, it doesn't matter how long your arms are. If you're a grabber, then you're not getting that full extension. So I think tackles have to have a really good punch. Their hands have got to be tight. Um, it doesn't do you any good if you have long arms, if, if your hands are all over the place. Um, and then their footwork. And when people say footwork, sometimes people just say, okay, well, he's athletic. He can shuffle. He can move his feet. To me, the footwork is your recoverability. Mm. Because in the NFL, you're not always going to get your first jam. You're not always going to get your first punch. They're going to swipe. They're going to find a way to make you miss. So can you, after you've missed a punch, can you recover with your feet to get back in front Otherwise, you're just going to be you're going to be a constant holder, and you're going to be constantly getting penalties. I, I like what you're saying there, Sean. To me, if if we're looking just offensive line across the board, and I know there's obviously differences in playing inside versus being on the outside, um, but kind of listening to you and jotting down what you're saying and what we've talked about previously, um, the the foundation. If you're going to start with the foundation of an offensive lineman, uh, tough, smart, and the ability to recover. Uh, would be three areas I think I would start. And I would probably add the fourth, which would be just anchor, especially when we're talking the interior guys. But So you've got the toughness, you've got the smarts, um, you've got the ability to recover, and you've got the ability to anchor. Is that a proper foundation for how you build an offensive lineman? Yeah, I think those are all key ingredients. Now, you can kind of maneuver. You could switch four and two as far as what their strengths are. But um, I think when you look at, at, at one of the, the facets that I look at offensive linemen, when you watch them in a stance, you want to see what are, what, how flexible are they? You know, we, we, we focus so much on power and, hey, can you mm -hmm. get in the squat rack? How much can you lift? How much can you hang clean? That's great. And all that hip explosion, that hip power is great. But if you can't bend – 
If you can't get low, that power means nothing. That power will not translate. So I'll look at guys when they're in their stance, and you can tell, boy, are they stiff in the ankles? If they get in the stance and their heels are up off the ground because their ankles are so tight, that they're going to have a tough time getting their whole foot in the ground and pushing guys. If they get in a stance and they can't open up with their hips, then now all of a sudden they're limited. We watch that so much and we talk about it uh, at the combine, and I know you guys, when you go to pro days, that's one of the things that everybody's looking at is how fluid are they. But low man always wins, and I'll always say – that if you get a guy that can squat 700 pounds, that's great. But if he gets out on the field and he can't bend his le- bend his knees and he can't move with while he's low, if he has to stand up to to move side to side, now you've got a guy that lost all his power. Um, so I, I think that's a, a big factor in it. So many times I've been around guys that are weight room warriors. Mm-hmm. They look like Tarzan, and you put them on the field, and they play <laughs> like Jane. And you can't figure it out because it just doesn't translate. Uh, the bench press is kind of one of those things where we'd have a guy – um, you know, I remember a guy that I played with, Scott Peters, man. He was strong. I mean, he, he could bench like 600 pounds. And if he punched you in one-on-ones, he was great. But if he missed, it was wrap. It was a sack. You, you were done. So uh, <laughs> some of those things don't necessarily translate. But I know uh, when teams look at offensive linemen coming out, when they get a chance to, to – they now they have these functional sc- uh, movement screens where they can find out if you have – Hip tightness. Hip tightness has been directly correlated to ACL injuries. So that's why a lot of teams are doing yoga. We started doing that with the Giants mm-hmm. uh, as a prehab uh, exercise to try to prevent injuries as well as uh, improving flexibility. You know, you talk uniquely about the challenge of kind of building an offensive line because you have five guys that have to work together. And you talked about how they need to, you know, kind of not be best buzz, but they have to have the right mix, the right personality. Do you believe – there is the right personality to be an offensive lineman on a team full of different characters. Yeah, that's always the challenge, you know. And I've been, you know, on a couple different teams where, look, we, you didn't have guys that necessarily hung out all the time. Like, you know, Kareem McKenzie, for example, you know, we considered him one of our, our best friends. He didn't always hang out with us. You know, he he wasn't married and didn't have kids. And so there were times where he would kind of do his own thing. But – there was this relationship that we had once we got in in the building and once we got in the stadium where you know we would tease each other and guys would play pranks and do things but it was it, it was a brotherhood and i think that's that that starts in the off season you know and i, I remember you know when when tom coffin was with the giants he came in in 04 and i came in as a free agent i came in on a visit like march 7th and i said hey when does the off season program start he goes 2 weeks ago <laughs> Now, that that, that is a different time, obviously. Now, you know, he's getting in trouble for saying guys should be here. Um, So we're in a totally different world. But I realized, wow, hey, guys are working here. And you know what I said was, well, I I asked him, I said, how many of the old linemen are here? He goes, three of them. Mm. I said, all right, well, well, on Monday there will be four. Because I wasn't going to let my boys work and and not – be there helping out you know i mean it's like somebody delivers 65 yards of mulch to your house you're not going to sit there drinking lemonade watching your boys go and spread it all out i mean maybe you're I'm gonna a, you're gonna I'm get a. some blister too and get you <laughs> well, know i kind of let them do their work i may bring them a glass yeah. but i uh, you know I mean, if i pay for it i'm not i'm not working when you're in temecula maybe you have somebody do it for you i don't know but I, yeah, I think that's, how, that's how we do it out here as offensive linemen you've got to like you've got to put in the time you know especially when you go out there and you know, like, hey, look, man, we're, we're out here for 65 snaps. There, it's not like any other position. You're not rotating guys. You know, very rarely do offensive linemen come off the field in a game. So, you know, you kind of you build that trust, 
and you build that, hey, we're going to push each other, you build that in the offseason. That's why I've always felt like, you know, workouts, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, that was always great for building that camaraderie, building that chemistry. But the best offensive lines are groups that have that same kind of mindset. When you look at the two teams that played in the Super Bowl this past year, the Rams and the Patriots, both of those teams yep. started all five guys the entire season. So it, it, there's a direct correlation between having a, a strong, like-minded unit in the offensive line and winning games. Well, I'm going to show your age here a little bit, Sean, because you entered the league in 2000. And so mm. if we look at the way the game was played there in almost 20 years now since, wow. you, since you started your career wow, in the National stings. Football League, and we look at where the game is right now. I knew that would hurt. Uh, look at where the game is right now, maybe projecting the next five to ten years. What, what do you think was valued in the, in the year 2000 when you came in uh, that maybe at this point in time maybe a little bit over, overrated? And then on the other side of things, what was something maybe we wouldn't put much stock in at that point in time, which is becoming increasingly more important? How has it evolved in changed that position? Yeah, good question. I, I want to say in 2000, everybody was going for the big O-lines. Mm-hmm. You know, it was how big can you get? You know, I, I think about um, Trey Johnson, who was a, a guard in Washington for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And and he, I ended up playing with him in Cleveland for a while, and he was 330 pounds. I mean, he was one of the strongest yeah. dudes I'd ever, ever met. You know, he didn't really care to pull. He didn't want to get on space. But, you know, the Cowboys mm-hmm. won – three Super Bowls in five years, and they had one of the biggest O-lines with Big Cat Williams and Nate Newton and um, Larry Allen. So it was kind of like, hey, look, if you want to have a big O-line, uh, you're going you're gonna to be able to move people. Even the Ravens in 2000 mm, when they move won people Super Bowl. Move people off the ball. Mulatalo, oh, yeah. um, you know, Flynn, I think, was the center. Oh, Zeus. Uh, yeah. Big Zeus. Um, and then, uh, you know, yep. obviously at left tackle. Ogden. Yeah. So it was just, hey, look, we want to get the biggest bodies out there. Force equals mass times acceleration, so let's double up on the M. Um, And I think then Denver kind of came into the picture, and they had a little bit more of an athletic office line. And it was, man, Schlereth and Nalen and, um, you know, some of these, these, hey, we're going to run the zone scheme and we're going to get the defense moving and then we'll slice you on the backside. So that kind of – that was kind of the yin and yang of the offense. And I I remember coming in to the league – my number one goal was, man, I got to get to 310. I got to get big. It was, you know, I came in as an undersized guy, played left tackle at Rutgers. I knew I wanted to move inside, but I was 295. Um, and I remember Tim Jorgensen, our strength coach, I said, Tim, I, I got to put some weight on. He goes, well, you want to get bigger? You need some gas. So here you go. Just He would just feed me creatine. and <laughs> you know, I come in my locker and it was like, you know, I'm like, really? Another one? It's like, gas, more gas. That was his big thing. So I, I just was trying to get as big as I could get. Um, and then I kind of realized halfway through my career, like, you know what? Quit being quick is, is even more important than being strong because mm-hmm. – that strength sometimes doesn't translate into the fourth quarter, but your quickness can uh, as long as your conditioning is right. So I think what we're seeing now is offensive linemen are much more athletic. I feel like they have to be because the defensive line has gotten more athletic. They're, got, they're bigger and they're stronger, but they're faster. You know, you're blocking guys with linebacker speed at 275 pounds playing DN. So it's really forced uh, mm-hmm. the offensive linemen uh, to get more athletic, but I think you mentioned, Bucky, that the tackles, that, yes. that's been the biggest thing. I mean, you see guys that, that um, you know, they, they look like basketball players out there playing tackle <laughs> and they get away with it. Um, you know, so it's it's much more athletic play. I think the passing game mm-hmm. has changed things now. I mean, most teams are throwing the ball twice as much as they're running the football, so that's kind of changed the makeup of the O-line. One thing that's constant, though, DJ, center, centers, 
centers continue to be the the, the move the needle on the intelligence factor. <laughs> it it's continues to <laughs> continues no, to trend up. I'm with you on that. I'm going to give you a softball here, and I'm going to let you run here. Last question. One of the one of the things I like to do is go back after the Super Bowl, and you go back and look at teams and where they invested uh, their money in free agency, as well as re-signing their own guys, as well as where they've invested their draft capital. And and Bucky and I, we always talk about this on on the podcast that the championship teams spend their money on the bigs, and they and they take care of their quarterback. And and when you look at historically being on a Super Bowl team, um, the strength of that team again, the line of scrimmage on. Both sides in the quarterback position. That is that, in your opinion, if you're building a football team, where it starts and ends at those three spots. Yeah, I think the quarterback is kind of that's kind of in its own little category. Um, but you know, in a quarterback-driven league, the next question is, can you get to the quarterback and can you protect yours? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely, I think, you know, when I was with the Giants, I remember when they drafted Justin Tuck. And everybody mm. said, well, why are you drafting another defensive end? You have O.C., you've got Strahan, you've got all these guys. Lo and behold, Justin Tuck's on third down. He's the he's the, the inside rush guy. Yep. He's playing three technique, and, and he helped yep. the Giants win two Super Bowls. So you can never have enough of those guys. And I think it's probably more important to draft those guys because you you can get them you know on that rookie deal and pay them a lot less. Um, because they get more expensive. The better the better pass rushers are asking for more money. I mean, look at what um, mm-hmm. Demarcus Lawrence is getting down in Dallas. So you, you got to get those guys on rookie deals. Offensive linemen, we're starting to see them get paid a little bit more now. Um, but those guys, you know, you, you, you definitely – you see teams that will pick and choose who they're going to pay. A lot of teams will say, we'll pay our left tackle and we'll pay our right tackle, or we'll pay a left tackle and a right guard. Mm-hmm. And then other guys we're going to try to fill in with um, – you know, cheaper labor or or young draft picks, but I definitely think that you, you've got to spend. At Look least at the a Philadelphia Eagles, Sean. Tackle. Look, yeah, I mean, they Look just what they've moved done. back up it's to the get tackle a, position, the center position, the guard position, and they keep stockpiling more. They can't have enough. They basically have two left tackles when you when you look at well, three really now with Dillard, but with Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson on any yep. other team would be a left tackle. Um, so I, I think that that's one of the reasons why you know they won the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> really, it was their depth. Halapaluli Vitae, him stepping in at left tackle mm-hmm. is what enabled them to to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, with Nick Foles too, but yeah, I think getting getting Dillard. They see the importance of having that offensive line and certainly keeping your quarterback healthy. There you go. Sean, thank you so much for your time, buddy. We appreciate it. All right. Good to see you guys. Well, Buck, with Sean O'Hara, look, he's, he's entertaining. He's funny. He's a great guy. But he also is very intelligent. And I you know, I think even just kind of wrapping things up there, uh, we're talking about Andre Dillard and the Philadelphia Eagles. Man, you, you better understand the importance of the offensive line position. You better have some depth uh, if you want to go ahead and chase that ultimate prize in today's league. Yeah, you have to have depth. You have the guys that can come off the bench and play with minimal reps. I mean, look, we've been to many pro practices. You know the twos, they don't get a lot of work. So your ability to lock in really separates you from the pack. But ultimately, it is funny watching offensive linemen because you want to evaluate one, but you kind of have to grade them on the curve with the entire unit. So it's a unique position. Glad that we continue to talk about it. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to, I'm going to give you time to think here because I'm going to give you my answer to the question first. Um, people ask you in life, who is your first love? Uh, how about your first love as an offensive lineman? Go back during your, your scouting days because I can give you mine. Um, first or second year scouting uh, was up at Fresno State, and mm. there was this guy with a beard and a cowboy hat, um, and they just I, I met him. He came in through uh, uh, the room where I was watching tape and shook his hand. He's got ginormous hands, 
And the question was, is he going to be a tackle? Is he going to be a guard? I don't know. I just know one thing. This guy is, <laughs> this guy is he is like, he looks like he could be the Marlboro man. Um, he is all man. Um, so physical, so tough, and so smart. I'm like, this guy's going to play. I mean, I, what do I know? I'm a young scout. But this guy's going to play forever. He's going to be great. I gave him my red star, which we've discussed on the Move of Sticks podcast, where you give it to one player every yeah. year. You know what I'm talking about. It was Logan Mankins. Uh, that was my kind of my first crush there. My first offensive line crush as a uh, as a scout was Logan Mankins. Do you have a guy that you scouted early on that uh, mm. that you kind of fell in love with? If I had to think about like a guy that I absolutely fell in love with, I would have to go back to my time in Seattle. We were fortunate to have Walter Jones, and we drafted. <laughs> yeah, that's Steve a pretty Hutchinson. good one. And so, oh, jeez, two so, good ones. So we had both of those guys. They played side by side. Whenever we were in doubt, we ran the ball to the left. Sean Alexander basically played at an MVP level because he had two Hall of Fame caliber offensive linemen leading the way. So if I had to pick, man, Hutchinson at guard, Walter Jones at tackle, those are my prototypes because we were able to pull those guys off the board. Now you're just showing off. That's all that is, just showing off right there. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, let's get to our next conversation. Uh, Paul Alexander, a longtime NFL offensive line coach and, and someone that's been well-respected inside the offensive line community for a long time and uh, a great person to chat with. We're trying to learn more about the offensive line position. Here's our conversation with Coach Paul Alexander. When we say a veteran uh, NFL offensive line coach, we mean it. We're talking about 26 years of experience coaching in the National Football League, and amazingly, 23 of those years spent in one organization uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Coach, we can't thank you enough for your time today. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks, guys. I, I enjoy uh, uh, talking to you about uh, linemen. Thank you for having me on. Well, there's no better person to talk to, and you've got such a sterling reputation. You had had have had such a sterling reputation for so long, and and and, and scouts, uh, we're always trying to figure out how we can do better, how we can become better uh, evaluators of every position. And when we look at the offensive line position, I want to I want to go back just to a, a couple specific players that you had a chance to be around there in Cincinnati, um, and just what you saw from them that you thought would translate into becoming outstanding pros. A couple guys in Willie Anderson, and also in Andrew Whitworth. Coach, what did you see the foundation of them as players, and what made you believe they were going to go on to be outstanding pros? Uh, well, let's talk Willie Anderson first. Will, Willie Anderson was a massive man. He was probably the biggest. Uh, first huge offensive lineman in the league. Um, he was at Alabama. I went and worked him out. He had tremendous feet. He had quickness. Uh, but he, he did a thing. We did a drill where I had him stick his arms out, and I tried to push his arms down to the ground. And when I tried to pull his arms down to the ground, I couldn't move. I could have done a chin-up on his arms. And, uh, and I said, oh, my God. Right? And at that moment, I knew he was going to be a great player. And Willie Anderson, when you talk about traits and players, it's very unique because Willie had big, strong hands, and Willie had exceptional feet. Now, did he have pitter-patter feet? Did he have feet that he could tap dance and jump rope? Yes, he did. But did you see those feet on film? No. Great players have good feet and quick feet. There's a lot of really good players who can move their feet really quick, but they don't know when to use them. Willie could slow down and speed up and slow down and speed up. Now, there aren't many guys alive that are that big with that amount of quickness that have the ability to govern their speed, I call it, by speeding up and slowing down. 
And it's really a very rare, unique trait to have it. The one guy in last year's draft that had it is Jonah Williams. Um, he was might have been the only guy in the draft that I thought could do that. And uh, so it's a very unique trait that Willie had. And uh, you put that with his massive size and strength and balance. Um, it was great. Whitworth, I, I went down to, well, you guys remember, were, were you... Uh, uh, DJ, yeah. were you scouting at the time that Whitworth came out? Or yes, sir. I'd like to have that grade back. I like a mulligan okay. on that one, okay. Coach. I was with the right, Ravens at what, the time. Here's what was going to be. Here's what I'm going to say. Right? Um, when Whitworth was coming out of LSU, the reputation by everybody uh, that I heard was, okay, he's a guard. Maybe he can play right tackle. Can't play left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. I went down to LSU. I worked him out. I was there with another coach. And when he said, what do you think, Paul? I said, first round pick. He said, really? I said, what do you think? He said, seventh round. I go, oh, my God. Wow. There's never been a bigger disparity (laughs) on players I've ever seen in my life. All right. When I first met Whitworth at the Combine, he was being interviewed by Bill Muir of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a terrific coach who's now retired. I walked by and he was being interviewed and I pointed right at him and I said, and he didn't know me. I pointed at him. He was sitting at the table over in the train station. You know where I'm talking about, or the, uh, uh, you know, the terminal, you know, at the tables. And I I said, Andrew Whitworth, left tackle, first round draft pick. And he looked at me like I was nuts. Now we took him early in the second round, (laughs) right? I had a first round grade up. This is what I saw, right? I saw Whitworth held the SEC record for the most games started of any player in the history of the Southeast Conference, and over that time, gave up three sacks. And I said, hmm, all right, well, what (laughs) don't people say? Well, okay, so there it is. There's production, right? There's production. Yep. And what didn't I see? Well, people didn't see, oh, my God, he looks a little slow. Guys run around him. Well, I went to LSU, and here's what happened. They had the center line up, and then they had the guard line up right even with him. His feet were – they weren't back at all, right? Typically, the center's up, the guard's back a little bit, and then the tackle's the farthest back, right? Well, at LSU, they had the center up, they had the guard up, they had the tackle up. They were like in a straight line with the ball, and the defensive end ran around, and Whitworth was always behind him pushing on him, right? And so I said, oh, well, that's pretty easy fix. I said, Whitworth, you're 6'8", you get your feet as far back as you can – bend over so that your helmet touches the belt of the center. I, he didn't even play from a classic pass pro set. He played in two-point. His two-point looked almost like a three-point because his feet were so back, and his torso was so long that his belt line intersected the center, the center's belt line. Like when Dalton and Palmer and those guys were the quarterback, it was weird. Whitworth was always behind them, right? But what did that do? That allowed yeah. him to take two full kick slides already before he even gets out of his stance. So he was way back. So that problem was eliminated. All right. Um, and then what was the next thing? They say, oh, my God, Whitworth's an unbelievable athlete. Uh, he was a junior tennis and golf champion. I go, really? And when we had a superstars competition at the Bengals, you know, the quarterbacks weren't involved in this event. But we had to throw the ball through the hoop. Whitworth won Mm -hmm. the left tackle. (laughs) Whitworth is a tremendous athlete, but I told him, I said, Whitworth, 
Unfortunately, you look like Ichabod Crane. When you run around, right, you just look like a big stiff hoe. All right, this was when he was younger. So I said, I said, Whitworth, you got to fool the scouts, right? Because if you run out there and you got your shoulders down and you pump your arms and you look like you're running with form running, the scout know the, don't know the difference. He's going to take his pad and he's going to put a check mark says, oh, athletic. He looks athletic, right? But if you run around there and you swing your arms around, you stand up straight up and down like a freaking robot, they're going to say bad athlete. Now, same person. You just got, I tell them, I told all the players, I had a lot of players that made a lot of money when they became free agents. And I spent a lot of time on fooling the pro scout, right? You got to fool the pro <laughs> scout. You got to make him think you're a better athlete than maybe you really are. So there's Whitworth. And let me tell you, I don't know if you'll meet a guy. It. Both of those guys, in fact, I use the same word to define both those guys, the same phrase which is about as high a rating as I can give them both because they were both the same this way, 24-karat man, both of them. I mean, frickin' man. I mean, you did. Hey, those two guys, they very rarely got in a fight in practice because no one was going to mess with those two guys. And when they did, <laughs> I, it was pretty clear that no one's going to do it again. You know, <laughs> you know Coach, you have a unique were. perspective having coached both of those guys. I would like to know, because we're seeing a shift in the league, what are the differences between a left tackle and a prototypical right tackle? Well, I've never bought it, right? I've never bought it. I put Willie Anderson at right tackle. He had to block Strahan, right? He had to block uh, uh, Green, right? Uh, and Lloyd, uh, excuse me, I forget which one was which, but they were both good. He, he, had, to block, he had to block all the great players, you know. Um, I never bought it. I think that I think the right tackle. You have you have two tackles. I've always had two tackles. You know, yep. my tackles were were Willie Anderson, Levi Jones, right. The next year was Stacy Andrews, right, who signed the biggest contract of eight tackle in the history of the league, right. And Whitworth, yep. right. Andre Smith had some good years, right. Those are my tackles, and they, they were my tackles for a long mm-hmm. time. I've always had two tackles. You got to have two tackles. Now some of them, well. Three, two of them were first-round picks, or three of them were first-round picks. One was a second, one was a fourth. You know, so uh, I think you got to put that investment a little bit in your tackles, right? So I've never bought it. I think you got to have. Uh, I think you have good tackles, um, and in most cases, in most cases, the kid at Florida played right tackle coming out. He helped me with his name this year. You know. Mm-hmm. He played right tackle. They go, geez, yeah, Jawan Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez, he's a right tackle. Who says? I think it's a pretty good athlete. He can go play left tackle. He can play left tackle. Yeah. No question. Uh, we were just talking before you came on. Uh, Bucky was uh, Bucky was around Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson. Um, I had a ch- Bucky was also around Will Shields with the uh, with Kansas City to play with him. I was around Bucky, Jonathan Ogden, Joe Thomas, and Jason yeah. Peters. Who, who's the best one, Coach? Who is the best offensive lineman you've ever put your eyes on? Uh, the two best offensive linemen are Willie Anderson and Andrew Whitworth. <laughs> I'm not touching that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not touching that. Hey, Bucky, were you, the one that let, uh, were you the one who let Hutchinson go? Uh, no, I, I had nothing to do with it. I was I was in the room when we drafted him. I was in the room when we drafted him. Nah, I, I, I can't, I can't take that one. Whoever let Hutchinson go should be shot. Just like the day. That's a good way to end it, there, coach. Just like the day we let Whitworth and Zeitler go. 
I told him I quit. I'm not coming back after this, and I didn't. <laughs> uh, well, you were right. You were right on that one, Coach. Hey, we can't yeah. thank you enough for your time, Coach. Uh, yeah. I know you're busy speaking all over the place. You've got a book out there. Uh, where can folks uh, find you on Twitter? Because I, I've enjoyed following you on Twitter. Everybody likes to to show all the, the up-and-coming uh, pass rushers, and you're quick to show, hey, this is not a great pass rush. This is terrible technique uh, on the offensive line side of things. So where can folks find you on Twitter? At Coach Paul Alex. There you go. Well, at Beautiful Coach thing. Paul Alex. We thank you so much for your time today, Coach. We appreciate it. Okay. I feel like we learned a lot today, and that's the goal. All right, Buck, good conversation there with Coach Alexander. I think uh, he was right. Bengals probably shouldn't have let uh, Whitworth and uh, Zeitler go. Probably not a good decision. Uh, not a good decision because at one point, man, they may have had arguably the best offensive line in football. Um, Alexander knows. Like, he's had a couple of good guys. I loved his indecisiveness between having to pick between Andrew Whitworth, Willie Anderson, two guys <laughs> who have had a lot of success in the league. Uh, no doubt. Great conversation there uh, with Coach Paul Alexander. That now leads us to our next conversation with legendary offensive line coach as well as offensive lineman, uh, a fascinating, fascinating person. I had a chance to work uh, with Coach Mudd with the Philadelphia Eagles. Trust me, you're going to enjoy this, our conversation with Howard Mudd. When you're talking about offensive line play, uh, there's nobody I respect more than Coach Howard Mudd. And, Coach, I think people are familiar with your 40-plus years coaching, but I don't know that everybody knows about your playing career, and that's where I wanted to start. Why, why did you decide to play offensive line growing up? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> well, uh, I, I was involved in writing a book with a bunch of the offensive linemen and, and all of that. And the one of the chapters is the offensive. You don't choose the offensive line. It chooses you. I didn't come up with that. That was Ryan Dean. But that's usually what happens. I mean, I was uh, played another position and all that, and I think I just grew to the size that, well, you can't. You, we're not going to make you a runner. You're not going to catch passes. You're not going to. You're either going to play on one side of the line or the other. Well, that's exactly what you did three times as a Pro Bowler in the all uh, the all decade team there uh, in the '60s. What was your uh, What was your playing style like, Coach? What was your What was your game like? Well. I would say that I was kind of like I coach. I mean, I, I was uh, I was kind of an aggressive, snarly guy that I like, you know, mixing it up and not, you know, I wasn't poking in the eye and all that. I'm just saying I was going to get after you, stay after you, uh, that kind of thing. I, I would say that just the aggressive style and uh, the coaching that that I've done all those years has kind of been the same. Was there something uh, athletically in the background of guys that you saw, Coach, that uh, maybe off the football field that you thought helped translate these guys footwork-wise to the next level, playing a different sport? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, there was a couple of things. One, uh, <clears throat> there was a sport that, that, uh, that I, I'm thinking of, two guys that I coached, and there might be more, that were wrestlers in high school, and they all had a sense of balance. Now, you can say, well, do they have good feet? Well, wrestlers, you, you either, if you don't have good feet and you don't have good balance, you're going to get pinned. And, uh, and they have a sense of leverage. Well, so that's a characteristic that would be a, a you know, a, a comparable or a, a, you know, a sport. Uh, what I did with guys was people that had that tended to have stiffer feet that had their feet locked in place and, you know, and they, their characteristic style I have a bunch of drills that I do 
for that. Um, and I guess I, I'll stop right here and say, if I were going to characterize my coaching, I'd say I'm a finishing coach. You finish with your feet. I have more drills that after contact than those that are before and to, uh, before contact. Uh, you know, you put a per- per- person in the dr- in the position after contact and get them to start moving their feet. It's sometimes sometimes when eh, get in a bar or get, you get in a crowd and you're jostled around. It's not. It's counterintuitive to to uh, move your feet. What you want to do if you get pushed is you stop your feet and you try to wrestle with someone. And yet, the most efficient thing that you can do is when you when you get body to body. And whether that's pass or run, or doesn't make any difference. But when you get body to body and you're stuck, start moving your feet. It's counterintuitive. And so we have drills that we, you know, the interval between contact and drive. And after drive, you know, you move your feet, move your feet. And I want to see it on, on video. Well, I guess I could say that, you know, this year I'm going back to work. I went back and, and looked at the stuff that we did here. It was 2009. And those guys really know how to move their feet. They know how to finish. They, they got to it. I love that. One of the other notes I took down, Coach, from, from when we used to chat a little bit, um, the rhythm of a block. You talk about yeah. fast, slow, fast. For those that don't know what that means, can you explain that? Wow. You did remember all this stuff. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> I tried to take notes, Coach. Oh, you did. And, but you re- but it, it, it resonated with you then. There's a rhythm to a block. If you're, if you're a, a, when I say fast, slow, when the, when the ball is snapped, or as the ball is being snapped, you have to go somewhere. You have to go somewhere to make contact. Then you make contact, and then there's another rhythm. Okay, so this is a little strange, but this is the way I, I look at it in a different way. As you know, I'm, I'm different. When you're run blocking, mm-hmm. you, don't do, you don't go fast first. You go slow. Your first step or two might be slow to gather your your position and lower your center of gravity, then you, you, move, you move fast, quickly, to make contact. And then you slow yourself down to maintain your, your, uh, your leverage on the guy so that you don't lose contact. Because if you go into a run block and you're fast at the beginning, you might miss. You want to make contact and, and leverage that man, the point of attack, and get your pads under his. And when you make contact, if you start making driving steps and you don't have the strength advantage, he's going to throw you off. So the most important thing is that after contact, you maintain, you maintain uh, contact from, mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't, have to, you don't have to start over. Don't let that guy stop your momentum. Okay? Maintain your momentum. Well, that's run blocking. And pass blocking, interesting I, I believe that you move somewhere, you go fast, and then you slow yourself down for the moment of contact and put your hands in there, put your head in there, put it, whatever it is, and your feet are, you know, but you, you've, you've gone fast, settle, was the word I, I used, which slows yourself, your momentum down. So it's fast, then you settle, then when you finish the guy, then you start moving your feet again or, or your body quickly, hands and feet, to finish him. Okay, Jason Peters, who we both know. A lot of people know Jason Peters. Yeah. (laughs) He's a great great player. So when I introduced this stuff to him in the pass protection stuff, 
you know, where go somewhere real quickly and then, then settle your feet, you know, settle, you know, like I'm going to come and crowd you. You got the ball in your hand and I got to guard the basket, which is the quarterback. I'm going to get real close to you and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, loosen my body up so that I can redirect myself when you try to go around me. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I call that settling your feet fast, slow, fast. Jason Peters called that soft feet. When you get there, have soft feet. I just loved it. That's exactly what he looks like when he pass protects. And and now that you put that kind of image in my mind, I'm thinking of just growing up, you know, going through high school and college and and listen to defensive coaches talk, you know, always talk about come to balance. You want to try and close, you know, if you're a linebacker covering a running back uh, and you want to, you want to close the space as fast as you can, then you've got to come to balance. It sounds like pass protecting. That's, that's, it's very similar. Right. And so coming to balance is settling. You're settling your momentum so that, you have control over the next movement that you make, reaction, if you will, where it's a, it's a, you know, hopefully it's appropriate. You've gotten close enough to do it. If he's a better athlete than you are, you probably don't have good control of it. But the, the point is, is that, yeah, coming to balance is exactly what I'm describing. And it's um, getting yourself in a position so that you can redirect and, uh, and, and shut off that guy's angle to the to the ball carrier, or you can shut him shut off. If you're a uh, if you're a, a tackler, you come to balance. I call it settling, so that you can redirect yourself and execute a tackle, or you can execute covering the guy that's he's making a move, and you know you're you're a, uh, a corner, or something. you're covering a guy, and you can redirect yourself without without being out of control. Coach, what do you do timing-wise now? I know you're getting back into it here and helping the Colts out, but just seeing the way the game has changed, and, and look, I fully understand that the, the time you spent in Indianapolis, you guys threw it plenty, but it seems now uh-huh. uh, teams throwing it more and more and more. How would you break up your time? You're limited in practice time right now in the NFL. If you're, if people were listening and wondering uh, in terms of breaking it up percentage-wise, the, the amount of time you would spend on the run game versus the amount of time you would spend on the passing game, what would that look like in today's game? I think you, you spend the most amount of time on the most difficult thing. The most difficult is pass protection. And even if it's an inordinate amount compared to if it's disproportionate or whatever that, that, that phraseology is, to if, if you spend, uh, let's say you've got individual time, practice time, that sort of thing, um, if you throw the ball 60% of the time, I'd spend 80, 80% of my time doing something in pass protection. When I can pass protect, I feel so good about where I'm at, because all of the body movements that are that are required to react to the man and redirect myself, get myself in the right position, don't get faked out, um, you know, know what to do with each little movement he makes. If he bull rushes me, I know how to do that. I, you know, I'm a maverick. I spin and hop and mm-hmm. do all kinds of stuff. I do everything that I can to keep myself in front of that guy. Most of all of them are athletic things, because. Mm-hmm. The football, I think, I don't think football as an offensive lineman isn't played with strength and power. It's played with leverage, quickness. That's what it's played with. If you are strong and you're quick and agile and have balance and you know you got a Hall of Famer, 
now you start getting into the elite, the rare, the rare. Actually, one of the yeah. guys I was just thinking of in my head is a guy you're going to be around a lot is this this uh, Quentin Nelson, um, yep. who's got the aggressiveness and the raw strength, but then he can dance around if you want him to do that as well. Right, and he's learning this year to be an athlete before contact. I mean, that's what that's kind of what we're charging him with. Think about yourself as an athlete first. That all that strength and power and aggressiveness and all that that stuff, which is great, will come mm-hmm. if you're in the right position. Your head's in the right, you know, and you've got your, 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 your you've got the man leveraged. Your hands in the right place, and you start moving your feet. It's over for him because you've got so much talent. No question, Coach. I I know you got to run. I want to get you one more question, and then I'll let you go. But uh, look, in in my just time in scouting, I got a chance to be around Jonathan Ogden with the Ravens and Joe Thomas with the Browns. But I always thought Jason Peters was one that deserved to be up in that in that conversation. He's I don't I, I've ever seen anybody with the combination of skills that he had. But uh, the best one that you've uh, you've had a chance to be around, Coach. I, I don't want you to get yourself in trouble with your former guys here. <laughs> Who is it? Uh, no, 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 no. There's no question about it. There's no question. Walter Jones is the best oh, wow. that I think that ever played. Wow. Because he had the combination of all of the things you're talking about. He could play less than 100% because and, and, he always had something left at mm-hmm. contact when the ball was snapped, whatever. He could reach anyone. He could reach block a guy that's two men removed to the outside. Don't tell him he can't do that. And then and do it looking like he's comfortable, like he still had something left. And uh, wow. uh, he did everything with such great ease, and he did it right from the time he was a rookie. So there's one Hall of Famer, okay? That's an HOF guy. Hey, Coach, I could do this for hours and hours and hours. I, I, I can't thank you enough. It's always a, it's always a pleasure on my end to get a chance to, to learn from you, uh, take some notes, and uh, hopefully we get better at evaluating this offensive line position. I, I really appreciate your time. Well, you're very welcome. Coach Mudd is one of the most knowledgeable guys, and I'm talking not uh, you know the, this decade, that decade. We're talking about over a 40-year period. There's nobody better to talk offensive linemen with than Howard Mudd. No, absolutely. He's been able to get it done. He's been able to take a collection of a bunch of different guys, put them together, and put out successful units. His look, his resume speaks for itself, but the work that he has done and the players that he's had, uh, that he's touched, I mean, we've seen it reflected in their play. He has put his impact all on them. All right, we're going to split up the prototypes here because we end these episodes by giving you who we believe is a prototype at the position. But since we've kind of lumped offensive line all together, uh, why don't you give us a prototype on the outside? It could be a right tackle or a left tackle. And I'll give you who I believe is a prototype on the inside at, at uh, either center or guard. Look, it's tough because this guy has slipped a little bit in terms of the injuries have taken uh, some of his game away. But Tyron Smith, to me, from the Dallas Cowboys, is a prototype. We saw him at SC. He's big. He was long. He's nimble. Great balance and body control, but also has the strength to finish you in the run game. But is also an effective pass protector. He's everything that you want in a left tackle. Yeah, he's so lucky. Getting off the bus, he'd be the first one. I can promise you that. Uh, and as athletic as all get out, I remember watching him at USC. He was played in the, what, 278, 279 pounds, something like that, uh, and has really grown into being a full-grown man uh, and when healthy, as good as it gets. On the inside, Buck, I'm going to go Quentin Nelson with the Colts coming off his rookie season. This is somebody uh, we talked about so much in the run-up to the draft before his, uh, his rookie campaign. I went on record and said he's the best run blocker I've ever evaluated. I'm not talking just guard. I'm saying offensive lineman, period. I've never seen anybody do what he does in the run game, and he immediately did the exact same things at the NFL level. Now, 
That alone would not be enough to make you a prototype in a passing league. Uh, this guy does that, the run game, but then he can slide, redirect, bend, all the things you want to do in pass protection. So, uh, man, I don't know if we'll ever find one like him uh, over the next decade, but we're going to try. That's the prototype, in my opinion. Man, it's so hard to find these guys, the elite guys, but they stand out from, from the pack. I think the big thing, we know a good one when you see one, and they typically have the same core traits. Balance, body control, strength, they can finish, and they can do a variety of different things as run blockers, but also as pass protection. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a fun episode and wraps up the offensive side of the ball in our prototype series. Uh, if you haven't checked out the other episodes, I think you'll enjoy them. We've got quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, uh, offensive linemen. Wait, I'm forgetting. We still got tight ends. We still got tight ends to do. Oh, we're not done with the offense. No, we're not. We got, we got to talk about those big basketball athletes that have kind of made the conversion to put on the pads. Yeah, we've got tight ends to come, and then we will get over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. If you're just checking us out for the first time, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast. I do believe you'll enjoy it. Rate us, review us. We do appreciate that as well. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.